Hello, sports fans. This is Jeremy Taché, and this is Miami Miked Up, presented by Cold Blue Vodka. If you haven't tried Cold Blue yet, head over to your nearest Total Wine or select Sam's Club's locations to pick up an ice sculpture bottle. It's the perfect refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or in your favorite summer cocktails, mojitos, Bloody Marys, martinis, Moscow mules, and more. Cold Blue Vodka is gluten-free, crafted from American-sourced corn, and distilled eight times. Easy to sip on, enjoyable, and the best part, no hangover the next day. I repeat, no hangover the next day. Our friends over at Cold Blue Vodka gave us a promo code for our listeners. Head over to coldbluevodka.com and use the code BALLY20 for 20% off. That's one word, B-A-L-L-Y-2-0, for 20% off your online order. Cold Blue Vodka, redefining the blue-collar lifestyle. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the fourth episode of Miami Miked Up with Jeremy Taché. I, of course, am Jeremy Taché, and I'm excited for today's show. We have a wonderful conversation with Panthers play-by-play broadcaster Steve Goldstein, who wears a ton of hats around the South Florida broadcasting community and actually nationwide. So really looking forward to that conversation. But before we get to any of that, we are going to start today's episode with Eric Esteban. Eric, it's a pleasure as always to be with you. And you know the question, Eric, what brought you joy this week? Jeremy, thank you. I feel like I'm, I'm the joy guy now. We've got more episodes <laughs> in the can. The joy guy is here. Something that brought me joy this week, non-sports related. Uh, I recently was uh, suggested a new show to watch, and I'm taking quite a liking to it. Uh, I'm neither a travel show person nor a food show person, but uh, I was put on to Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy uh, great. program. Have you seen this? Have you I've heard, heard it's this? amazing. Yeah, I've heard it's great. Oh, my God. I mean, he just <laughs> goes around Italy, essentially Italian on both sides. And if you watch this show, you will really get a hankering and hunger for Italian food done right. I just finished the episode where he was in Milan. I learned so much about saffron and risotto. Uh, this is after a tour of Napoli, San Marzano, tomatoes and pizza. I mean, the show is just really well done. I, have, I was never a Stanley Tucci guy. But let me tell you, nowadays, I am definitely rocking wherever Stanley Tucci <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he, uh, my favorite, my favorite thing that's happened recently with Stanley Tucci, uh, is that seemingly my whole generation has girls thirsting after Stanley Tucci, <laughs> which is a really, really interesting development I didn't expect. But you know what? Maybe it's because of the show. And you know what, guys? I'm here for it. Stanley Tucci Hive. Let's represent. You should see him working his way around Italy. There's no shortage of an Italian grandmother and women throwing themselves at this man <laughs> so whatever he is doing whatever he is putting in that sauce and that tomato sauce uh it's working it's, it's so working for him it's working that is something that brought me joy highly recommended uh wherever you guys can catch it jeremy what is something that brought you joy this week that's a good question thank you i actually uh essentially rediscovered that I live in South Florida and by that I mean I spent a couple of days at the beach this week and okay. I think that uh, sometimes because I grew up in South Florida, but about a half hour from the beach and that can make as insane as it seems the trek out here to the beach seem like a big hurdle. I never automatically became a beach guy. I also have pretty sensitive pale skin as if you're watching this, you can see very fair skin. Yeah. And, and so I've never been a, a huge beach person, but for whatever reason, it, it sort of over the weekend and then early this week, I decided 
to just sort of go take a, a trek over. My girlfriend and I recently bought uh, some beach chairs that are like legitimate beach chairs. So it's a much more nice. relaxing experience. And just going over there and spending literally 30 minutes just to like clear my head, take a dip in the water and leave is something that I now realize I am super grateful to have access to only five minutes from my house. Like it is just the most wonderful thing. And I'm sitting here bragging, but I guess this is a South Florida show. So literally any of you could do this. If you're listening to this (laughs) down here in South Florida, take the time to go spend an hour, apply your sunscreen and then go relax at the beach and just take a moment to clear your head. I think I'm somebody that uh, I'm very go, 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 go all the time. And um, I'm someone that also really enjoys podcasts or music. And so sometimes I'll just have something playing in my headphones at all times, or I'm focused on my phone, or even I go to take a shower, I'll listen to a podcast. Like I've got anything going on. So to take just 30, 40 minutes to an hour to just clear your head, listen to the sounds of some waves. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I'm I'm feeling very grateful that I live out here in Fort Lauderdale. You got to take advantage. And the sound of some waves, Labor Day weekend on the beach, Mm -hmm. you know what I would have been playing is a little bit of that certified lover boy. Uh, (laughs) Sound of some waves and sound of some Drake. I mean, everyone was playing that, right? Oh my God, it was crazy. Yeah, no, it was it was funny. I I actually, I did go over the weekend. I went on Sunday and I just went by myself because my girlfriend was out of town and I showed up. And I actually hadn't heard the album yet. Um, you know, just hadn't taken my time to listen to the full thing. You know, I'd I'd heard I'd heard the clips on on social media of you know the songs that mattered and everything. And then, uh, from two different directions, I went and sat in between one family. It was a family of four with young kids, and then one group of like twenty somethings that were, or maybe I mean maybe I guess college kids, but twenty somethings that were, and both sets were blasting certified lover boy on different songs they couldn't hear each other but because i was in the middle i could hear both it was it's a a clearly a success for drake there and the album cover is so funny the album cover is hilarious but uh before we do get to this interview with with steve goldstein and eric i'd love to hear your thoughts here on a couple of these these different topics but two sports figures in my life had have had big moments in the last number of days. And so uh, one from childhood and one from the college years. And so I'm going to start with childhood. And the irony is that this person is now the CEO of the team that I cover. But throughout my childhood, Derek Jeter was a childhood idol. And Derek Jeter, as we record this conversation in, in just a few minutes, actually, will be inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame a year later than it should have happened. And now he's headed in there. And I just, well, first, Eric, I'd love to get your thoughts on Jeter's enshrinement. And obviously, you know, he's been down here in Miami for a couple of years now. And and we've gotten to know Derek as as the Miami Marlins CEO. Sorry, yes. um, but any sort of thoughts on the Hall of Fame baseball player going into the hall today? A long time coming, figuratively and and literally. I I can give you my short Derek Jeter story. The day that I met him here as part of Valley Sports Florida uh, with my boss, uh, I was uh, starstruck. And Hmm. I don't, that doesn't happen too often unless I'm in front of Tim Tebow uh, or someone else like that. (laughs) But I was starstruck by Derek. He's someone that uh, this honor is a long time coming, both figuratively and literally. Uh, He has been just a tremendous 
part of our community ever mm -hmm. since coming aboard and his accolades and his accomplishments on the diamond speak for itself. I mean, first ballot, no doubter. Mm -hmm. um, we grew up watching him as 03 Marlins fans and, yeah. and even dating back to those moments. So he was a part of our sports fanhood growing up, even if we weren't Yankees fans, he is, uh, you know, just a titan of baseball and he really deserved it. So I'm excited for him. Valley Sports Florida, we were able to put up a billboard congratulating him mm -hmm. uh, across South Florida today. So shout out to our marketing team for getting that up there. But just a tremendous partner, tremendous leader. Um, the Marlins are fortunate to have someone of his caliber, um, you know, leading that organization day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's this funny thing. I haven't really interacted with Derek Jeter very much since he's been down here. We conducted one interview with the other podcast that I'm a part of, Swings and Mishes, um, right before the 2020 season had started back up. And that was really my my first sort of personal interaction with him in any way. Uh, but the irony is like, so my dad grew up in Brooklyn. Um, my dad is is a New Yorker, despite having lived in Florida for more of his life than he lived in New York. And so he was a Yankee fan. And so I, a kid born in 1995, and Derek Jeter, a man who won World Series in 96, 98, 99, 2000, obviously uh, became a central piece of my childhood baseball fandom. And my childhood fandom in general, you sort of mentioned it as, as a titan of baseball. Really, if, if you were a kid growing up when I grew up, right. you had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in football. Mm -hmm. You had Kobe into LeBron in basketball. Right. And in baseball, you had all the guys of the steroid era. Mm -hmm. But Derek Jeter was the one sort of consistent. He was, he was the one who was on the champions. And, not for whatever, he's one guy who's never been linked to any of that. And so he was someone who sort of was the face of baseball in, in more ways than one. And as someone who did grow up a Yankee and Marlin fan, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna lie guys. I had his fat head in my room as a kid. Like I, you know, and so <laughs> it was, head, wow. Oh yeah. The fat, it was, it was a, it was a cutout. It was smaller than the normal the, major, the normal like eight head. feet tall fat head that I actually had uh Ramsey's the North Carolina Tar Heel, which is oh, a story cool. for another time. It was cool. Oh, yeah, cool. Whatever. But uh, you know, being the sports kid, you had a little, a little bit of everything, but Jeter was, and and this is where I'll, I'll leave this, but as, as a kid growing up playing sports and as a kid growing up looking for role models, you know, I'm someone who now looks at athletes and people in sports and even entertainment and say, we don't know these people off the field. We don't know who should be role models, who should be what. But what we can follow is what their example is on the field. And you mentioned Tim Tebow before, right? There's a reason he's considered an idol. It's because of the way that he carried himself on the field. Partially his off-the-field stuff is, is what's carried him beyond in this legend, but the way he carried himself on the field. There was no athlete that was a greater example for a young kid who wanted to just overachieve in sports than Derek Jeter. While he was the top prospect as a young guy, when he got to the big stage, he performed in the big moments, and he was a consistent presence for his team as a leader. And as someone who was searching for someone to model themselves after, I talk a lot. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I talk all the time. I looked at Derek Jeter and I said, oh, that guy leads by example. And it put me in a position as a ball player, as a classmate, as my own person, where sometimes I now knew, oh, 
Sometimes you just need to lead by example or whatever that might be, or you need to follow someone who is leading by example. And so I think that, that when we have these athletes in our lives who um, sort of represent something bigger than the sport that they played, it's not about what they were capable of doing on the field, whether they were the perfect baseball player or, you know, some other sport. There's too many people out there like, oh, well, you know, Jeter wasn't actually the best at this play in the hole. <laughs> and it's like, come on, what are, what are we doing here? Derek Jeter's one of the 10 greatest shortstops that's ever played the game. He's one of the great champions. And, and I think that it is just the coolest thing that he's headed into the hall. I can't wait to watch that ceremony. Obviously, those of you who are listening to this will have already done that, but just wanted to take a moment to sort of uh, uh, pay respect to that career considering what was going on. Yeah, and I'll share a quick plug on the Ballet Sports Florida side. About a week or two ago, we were fortunate enough to sit with Derek uh, for an extended one-on-one interview. This is an exclusive Mm. interview that that Marlon's granted uh, us as our rights partner that we were able to sit with him for 30 minutes that we're going to put out in an upcoming episode of Marlon's All Access Inside the Marlins. It's going to specifically center around Derek, you know, and his time here in Miami and some of his contributions in New York. So we're really excited about that. And again, huge thanks to the Marlins, Derek, uh, for for providing us with that opportunity. I think our viewers and listeners alike are going to really be looking forward to that episode. Yeah, I'll I really look forward to it, let alone the, the <laughs> viewers and the listeners. I can't wait to see that interview. And before we get to our interview with Steve Goldstein, one last stop here in this conversation that I'd like to have with you, Eric. Obviously, college football kicked off uh, this past weekend. We had every team in the state playing. We'll talk about sort of the big four or as I will uh, force into the conversation, big four. Uh, including UCF in that conversation. Come but on down. Yeah, the Gators and FAU play each other. Obviously, Miami played Alabama. Uh, FSU played Notre Dame. And UCF kicked things off on Thursday night against Boise State. Eric, you're the Gator. I just wanted to get your thoughts on opening week against FAU. Sure. We're a few days uh, after kickoff here. And the question I'm receiving most from my Gator friends and fans is, if you have two quarterbacks, do you, you have, have dot, dot, dot? The the answer is none, but I'm going to say fun. Mm -hmm. We have two quarterbacks. (laughs) And if you watch that Gator game on Saturday night, you had some fun. You know, Emory Jones, his first career start, I thought he looked uh, great under the lights. But and a a lot of people are buzzing about Anthony Richardson, Mm. uh, the true freshman out of Gainesville and what he was able to do. Shades of that next Cam Newton and a lot of whispers internally from the team and people who have watched practice who are genuinely excited about what the future brings there. But you know what? Opening week, week one kickoff, I was really happy with how the Gators played, how they looked. They were healthy. And the defense, uh, you know, FAU is no slouches. We do a They're good not. They have FAU athletes, programming. Man. Inside the Owlsboro is a program that airs on Valley Sports Florida. So, yeah. you know, they're, uh, they've come a long way as a program. Those guys hung in there. They played a tough game. Um, but I'm really happy that the defense is probably my biggest takeaway, seeing some new faces out there. Uh, and I'll be happy to report back next week. I'll be traveling to Tampa Bay this weekend for the UF at USF game. So we're not done yet. And that'll be a uh, that'll be a Gator home game. Let's be realistic. I can t- yeah. I can I can talk trash. It's the fine. Gator Nation is everywhere. Oh, they'll they'll certainly be in Tampa, and especially because <laughs> no, not a lot of people in Tampa rooting for USF. It's uh, we we like we UCF fans like to call you UCF Tampa's hometown team as well, uh, because <laughs> UCF likes to travel out there. Uh, well, and obviously, you know, you just said they play USF, and then 
it's Alabama after that. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. that's really the big matchup. We saw this weekend just how dominant Alabama is. I do not think that Miami is a bad football team. I think that Absolutely Miami not. is probably one of the 20 best teams in the country, and you'll see that by the end of the season. But when they start against Alabama, that team looks to be on another level. And it's part of the reason I'm excited to see this Anthony Richardson play a little bit against USF because if Florida is going to win that game, it'll be because they just have enough big plays, whether that be from Emory or from Richardson, to sort of make things happen. So that dual quarterback approach, it might be necessary. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I just think that, that might be the big thing. And you mentioned dual quarterback approach. I got I to gotta ask you, what were your <laughs> thoughts on the uh, non-traditional dual quarterback approach that absolutely uh, – took over the timeline and sports fans everywhere with uh, the return of your boy, yep. Mackenzie Milton. Yes, yes. So Mackenzie Milton did return on Sunday night. It, it. oh gosh, if you don't know the whole story, if you don't know the whole story of Mackenzie Milton, he was the quarterback at UCF through the national championship claim. Um, for those of you who remember that but don't remember the name Mackenzie Milton, uh, he was the quarterback and was riding a 23-game win streak with UCF had finished an undefeated season in 2017, was 10-0, and headed into the final regular season game at USF, UCF's rival, which I've already mentioned, in 2018, leading them to another undefeated season, a possible invitation to New York as a Heisman finalist. He had finished in the top eight the year before, and then blew out his knee against USF in what was a truly catastrophic knee injury to the point where that night they were considering amputating his, like the bottom half of his leg. Like Mackenzie Milton almost lost his leg. And now that was November 23rd, 2018. And on September 5th, 2021, almost three calendar years later, he returned to the field as a transfer at FSU now. So there are so many storylines to this, right? Where the UCF to FSU pipeline there of going from the program that wants to establish itself as a part of that big three to one of the programs that's traditionally been there. Going from UCF to a coach in Mike Norvell at FSU who Mackenzie Milton beat three times in three huge games against Memphis that were really the games that decided those previous couple of seasons. So the tie there and then going up against Notre Dame. And this is something that I think a lot of folks forgot about going into this where in 2018 when UCF was ranked lower than they really wanted to be both Notre Dame and UCF had played Pitt. And UCF had blown out Pitt, and Notre Dame had struggled with Pitt. And so someone asked Mackenzie Milton about Notre Dame. And he said, you can't watch those guys and tell me that they're better than us. So he was talking smack about Notre Dame three years ago. And that's the, that's the mindset he took into it. On Absolutely the mindset he took in. And so what was so amazing was obviously now, three years later, there was no starting quarterback named for this game. There's Jordan Travis. You know, the young quarterback who had already been at FSU, who was establishing himself, who played okay on Sunday night. He did night. well. He did well. He showed Had his pop. moments, certainly. Uh, and then there was Mackenzie Milton, and no one knew who would start. And ultimately, right before the game, rumors circulate. Milton's a little bit hurt. He's not quite the same. He missed some time at practice. Jordan Travis is going to start, and they're going to use Milton and gadgets and every UCF fan felt so de- defeated, deflated. I was heartbroken. 
and we go this entire game, and Mackenzie Milton does not take the field. We're into the fourth quarter, and FSU is competing, and their quarterback is making the occasional boneheaded play and he's doing his thing but he's making great plays and every time it felt like he might get hooked out of the game he makes another great play and every time that he makes another great play then there's another bad play and all of us are just wondering where's Mackenzie Milton and that's not just UCF fans you were seeing it across the timeline and ultimately because a helmet flies off of a quarterback Mackenzie Milton is brought into the game because he had to be brought into the game for the quarterback And on the first play, throws a 20-yard pass, leads FSU to a touchdown, ends up tying the game, getting it to overtime, and ultimately FSU does lose this game to Notre Dame. Thought the play calls late. May have been a bit conservative for a guy who was playing so well at the quarterback position. I'm obviously biased. But what was so special about this and what, what made me... I mean, really, I, I was like actually in tears on Sunday night for Mackenzie Milton. I would assume a lot of people, it was an emotional, emotional moment mm-hmm. for sports fans. Anyone who followed his story to the, to the length and extent that you have and have covered it, how can you not get emotional? Right. Watching? Yeah. And, and, and so what, we, what was so special about it, I think, is just that it, these are the types of moments only sports can provide. These are the types of moments that, you know, you're watching it. You're like, this is a Disney movie. This is not how life is supposed to work, right? Mm -hmm. And for a guy who, for so many of us, represented that underdog uh, from the beginning, right? We looked at Mackenzie Milton as the underdog before the injury. We saw this three-star recruit from Hawaii who ended up literally across the country in Florida for a coach in Scott Frost who had seen him at another camp where he was a coach at another school at the time and took a chance on this kid, a kid who in his bowl game as a freshman after starting his full season got booed off the field by a fan base and then never lost again. And then we saw him two and a half years later. He still hasn't lost a game as a starting quarterback. He went an entire presidency Without losing a game that he played in. That's the first game he lost that he played in since Barack Obama was president. So it's this really remarkable story of a guy who, and I'll I'll tie it back to the Jeter thing. Someone who represented himself as a, a grinded out leader by example on the field. Who, in his case, was a tremendous underdog for a school that represented being an underdog. And then got to come back and do something that... We've never seen done, certainly at the college level. The only comparison really might be Alex Smith last year at the NFL level of coming back from that type of injury. And to see him and his teammates and his family after all the hard work this guy put in after tens of surgeries, multiple, multiple surgeries, years of rehab, not coming back last year despite maybe being able to. I cannot say how happy I am for Mackenzie Milton. I hope that he's given the opportunity to play throughout this season for FSU. I think that he and Jordan Travis will be that dual threat sort of plug and play for both of them, no different than maybe Richardson and Emory Jones up at UF. And it should be a really fun season. I'll be rooting for the Seminoles as long as Mackenzie Milton is playing for them, which is impossible for me to say, but I'm saying it. I will be rooting hard for FSU, even as the UCF fan. About to say, safe to say, uh, Mackenzie has made an FSU fan out of all of us, at mm-hmm. least for one year. 
Yeah, for one year, and then we can let it go. <laughs> but uh, and then we can let it go. None, none of us have to pretend. But anywho, um, well, this was a blast, Eric. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on on college football and on Jeter and and, and everything going on. For those of you who want to uh, tune into more coverage, you can go back to the at Bally Marlins account, and I'm sure we will have plenty from the Hall of Fame ceremony posted there, retweeted from MLB Network. Whatever we can get out there, I'm sure will be there. And enjoy this upcoming interview with Florida Panthers play-by-play voice, Steve Goldstein. Today's episode of Miami Miked Up is brought to you by Cold Blue Vodka, redefining the blue-collar lifestyle. You guys know we love Cold Blue Vodka for its refreshing taste and smooth finish. Pick up an ice sculpture bottle at your nearest Total Wine or select Sam's Club's locations for all of your end-of-summer gatherings and events. You can also head over to coldbluevodka.com and use code BALLY20 for 20% off. That's one word, B-A-L-L-Y-2-0, for 20% off your first order. You need to try Cold Blue Vodka for all your favorite mixed drinks. Or chill a bottle and enjoy it all on its own. Thanks again to our amazing partners over at Cold Blue Vodka for sponsoring this episode of Miami Miked Up. And it's a pleasure to welcome this man into Miami Miked Up. Uh, you guys know him as the voice of the Florida Panthers here for Val- Bally Sports Florida, uh, but he has many different hats across sports broadcasting. We know him as Goldie. Steve Goldstein, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and Steve, actually, the first question that we're starting with is one that we've started with with every single guest we've had so far on Miami Miked Up. It's what is something that has brought you joy outside of the workplace recently? Oh, well, that is a great question. Well, recently, you know, hasn't been so easy, obviously, mm-hmm. for everybody with this uh, pandemic. But, you know, I'd say family, you know, my, uh, my one of my sons is in high school still in South Florida in 12th grade. My other son is off to college at Western Michigan University, working there for the hockey team. So I'd say, um, you know, my family, but first off, being healthy, really, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, with what we've been dealing with and uh, seeing kids grow up and, you know, try to be independent and hmm. pursue what they want to do. So that would be, th- those would be the big things outside of, uh, you know, our little sports and sports yeah. announcing world. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, is there is there a college in sight for the the second child? Is there is there a college that he's looking at? Great question. Uh, maybe UCF, but we'll hey, see hey. how it shakes out. I love it. I'm giving the fist pump. I'm a UCF alum myself. I can't recommend it enough. And if you have any questions, I'm here for you. <laughs> you know so, what? I'm going to take you up on that. So thank you. Oh, I'm I'm the biggest UCF propaganda person you will find. Right. So yeah, I, I'll be here for you. Um, well, and no so nights. as the folks, yeah, go charge on. As the folks might know right now, um, you're actually at the U.S. Open. Uh, calling tennis. And I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit, number one, about what that's like to be at the U.S. Open? I know you've been before, but also what you enjoy about calling tennis specifically as opposed to the other sports that you've had experience uh, doing play yeah, well, play for. Well, the stadium behind me is the biggest tennis stadium in the world, Arthur Ashe Stadium. And there's nothing like the energy in New York. You know, last year here, there were no fans. So mm. this year, um, it has just been a certain energy about it. And if people are watching late at night, it seems like every night goes till like one, two in the morning. And, uh, so it's great as a little sense of normalcy. Um, you know, tennis is a really interesting sport because those players are out there all alone, you know, and there's mm. really no other sport like it. Like even in golf, you know, you have your caddy next to you. Um, but in tennis, you're really out there on an Island. It's a psychological battle. 
and just the sheer, um, you know, the way the, the guys and, and the women, um, you know, are able to persevere mentally. Uh, it's tough. There's a lot of momentum changes and you can't rely on anybody else. You can't, well, you're not supposed to rely on a coach. So uh, it's enjoyable. It was something new for me about five, six years ago doing tennis. And, uh, you know, once a year, come here to the U.S. Open, um, you know, sometimes do a few other tennis things. But uh, it's just an energy um, at the U.S. Open that uh, as a sports fan, I love. Yeah, I think something about working in sports that gives us the ability to empathize with athletes who are on their own, right? We are ordinarily working with a whole production crew. Doing things on our own is not something that that is always happening. So to see people who really are out there on that island by themselves, I think is something we can relate to um, or at least empathize with. But you've actually mentioned it a couple of times already in that the pandemic affected your job affected sports, affected really everything that we've been doing in, in basic life, to be honest. But I was sort of wondering specifically when it comes to your job, how have the restrictions during the pandemic affected your job and maybe changed your perspective on what it is that you do? Well, great question, Jeremy. First off, I'm a glass half full guy. Okay. And I'm mm-hmm. not a big, uh, trying to you know dwell on the negative. So the first thing is it was great that we were able to get back and play sports mm-hmm. and have the games. So that was number one. Um, and appreciative that still able to work and do the games. That said, it is completely done, you know, a 180 on how we do the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, I'm big on getting, you know, some information, okay, and entertainment to people, the viewer, that they can't get. And, you know, these days with a phone, you can get all the stats you want. I mean, you right. could be, honestly, from a statistical standpoint, um, you could, anybody out there could be as prepared as I am before a game if you want to. Now, you've got to spend a number of hours on it like I do, mm-hmm. but you can do it. So my thing over the last, you know, really five, 10 years, it's changed is what can I bring to viewers, to listeners that they don't know? And in order to get that, you got to be able to talk to people. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be able to get the information. I got to sit down, you know, next to Jonathan Huberdeau at his locker one day on a practice day when there's not the pressure of a game and say, hey, what's going on? And, you know, maybe you pick something up in that conversation that then he does in the game that you can then translate to people and say, here's why he did that. Here's what he said about this. Um, You know, and then same thing with personal stuff, you know, uh, you know, like family members that are watching a player in the Mm -hmm. crowd, things like that. So. That's one thing that is really, for me personally, in the preparation standpoint, uh, not only have I missed, because that's part of the fun of the job, um, you know, I don't think people are getting as much of that because, Mm -hmm. you know, for obvious reasons and, you know, for just reasons, the access just isn't the same right now. Right, right. Well, and that access obviously affects the ability to do the job in any given sport, whether that's tennis with one-on-one conversations with individual players or having conversations, like you said, with team sports in hockey or in football. And you've covered basically everything across sports over the last number of years down here. Obviously, for for over a decade, you've been the play-by-play voice of the Panthers. But just recently, you were added as the preseason TV football hosts for WFOR CBS4 with Jason Taylor uh, on these Dolphin games. Could you speak to what that experience has been like for you and what it's been like to be on TV calling these Dolphins games? Well, it's great, Jeremy, because when I first came to Florida, I was doing the radio talk shows and Mm -hmm. I was doing Panthers pre and post game on the radio for 
many years until I got the radio play-by-play job and then over to TV. And I was also doing the Dolphins pregame, halftime, postgame. I was right. the host. So it was great to get back with the Dolphins. Um, again, you know, the prep work to me, I was excited to be out there at training camp every single day. I didn't miss a practice all training camp. Uh, you know, we were able to talk to players after in a group setting. So that certainly was helpful. I thought the NFL and the Dolphins did a great job with that. Um, you know, we were distanced, we were outside, but we were able to get, you know, those little nuggets, um, yeah. you know, like for example, the Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips bet on the mm-hmm. UM Alabama game, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was terrific being back there with the Dolphins uh, and, you know, diving into the football, a ton of work in preseason, as people know, it's a 90 man roster and everybody plays. So not only do you need to know the big guys in some of the stories, you need to know who that undrafted free agent like Trill Williams, my man out of Syracuse. I had to have that whole <laughs> there you go. Uh, story down. But for me, you know, that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, working with Jason Taylor, you know, I've known Jason for over the years, but, you know, being there sitting next to a Hall of Famer, um, you know, and I've worked with a lot of different people over the years as analysts. Uh, tennis here, it rotates almost every single day. I mean, I remember Gosh. a couple of years ago here after Sloan Stevens won the title, um, she came back to defend it. First round match. I'm doing in, in this booth here, Arthur Ashe Stadium at noon. And Jeremy, Virginia Wade is sitting next to me. Like, you know. Yeah. Right. I don't even know oh the words. It's, it's right. Like, yeah. Like, you know, like a Wayne Gretzky of tennis. And I'm like, right. what am I doing here? Like sitting here calling this match. So it, oh, it was great. Cool. And, and Jason was really, um, you know, he, he sees the game unbelievably well. And for mm-hmm. me, that's interesting because, yes, I'm working. I'm doing the play by play. But I'm just like everybody else sitting home. And when a play happens, I want to hear what he's got to say mm. about what went on, what someone could have done differently. So um, it, it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, it was only two games because they lowered the preseason and one of them was on national TV. But right. I look forward to uh, hopefully continuing to do it. Well, there's a wonderful willingness to sort of let ego go when you're relying on your analysts that way. And I think that that's, that makes the sign of a good play-by-play man where you're you're willing to sort of describe everything that's going on and take that step back to learn the analysis yourself from someone who has that experience playing the game. So I think that's that's a, a job well done on your end. And I, I wonder, how has the process been over the years jumping back and forth between sports? Because I imagine there was a time where you were told, no, you will not be able to do it all. I, I've had that experience <laughs> just in the in the early years here of it's so tough to, to keep up with all sports. So how have you been able to do so? And, and was there a time where you thought maybe you wouldn't be able to do everything? That would be a question for my wife because when she walks in <laughs> at like 7 a.m., and I'm awake in June watching some tennis tournament from mm-hmm. Europe. And what are you doing? Well, I called this guy in junior a few years ago. So I'm tracking to see how he's doing. You got to love it. Mm-hmm. That would be my answer to your question. You know, I mean, in June, I was going to, you know, the Dolphin OTAs, the mini camps. I loved it. You know, I'm standing there, you know, with, with the beat writers and talking to Joe Rose and Nat Moore and, you know, breaking down, you know, some of the old stories about Duper and Clayton and, and Dan Marino. You know, you have to love it. If you yep. love it then you enjoy doing it. So um, that, that's the way you do it. it. It's fully immersed, by the way. You know, I mean, I pay attention to tennis all year round, but once we hit the hard courts in the summer, I'm watching a ton of tennis. And then this summer it was combined with going to Dolphins practice mm. every day, uh, paying attention to what the preseason opponents were doing. I mean, I was pretty much tracking the Bears pretty closely and the right. Falcons because those were the teams we were doing it against. Um, and I'll continue to do that during the NFL season, pay 
you know, a little different type of attention than I have the last few years. And of course with hockey, it's, you know, it, it's 365 for me. I mean, I'm always looking up rosters and, you know, now with what we have technology wise, you know, you can watch any game mm -hmm. anytime you want that, 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 you know, from last year, the year before. So I would say, how do you do it? You got to be dedicated to doing it and you have to love doing it because it is a lot of hours. Mm, yeah, the, the passion is certainly the, the most important part. And that comes through in your broadcast. We saw that this preseason and we will sort of shift now to the analysis side where we do want to get some of your expertise on the Dolphins that you saw. Obviously, the biggest question mark going into the season is to attack of Iloa, right? It, the biggest question is, will he take that leap? My question to you is, did you see enough in preseason that makes you convinced that he will take that leap? Well, I'll tell you this, Jeremy, you know, he was a different player. And this mm. goes back to the OTAs, you know, the way he, he moved, um, his mechanics, his strength. I mean, he was coming off a major injury. There was COVID restrictions. So it wasn't a normal training camp. They didn't play right. any preseason games. And when they got out there in Chicago, you know, I made sure I made the point on TV this is to his first preseason game that he's ever played in. Yep. And there were 33 players on that roster of the 90 that had never played a preseason game. It's all the rookies. Wow. It's all the undrafted free agents and all the guys from last year. So um, from that standpoint, I, I, I think it's just a different player. He, mm. He's more familiar with things uh, leadership wise. You know, a lot of times at practice, something wouldn't go right on a play. He'd be calling offensive linemen over, calling receivers over really being that leadership guy. So I agree with you. I think this team is a, you know, eight to 12 win team somewhere in that range. And the high end or the low end of that, I think is going to depend on how he plays. Now there is a question mark on the offensive line because let's face it, no one can get it done if they're lying on their back, looking up at the uh, mm -hmm. sky. So the offensive line needs to do a job for him, but he's got a ton of weapons if the old line does the job. Well, and you made this prediction sort of there of eight to 12 wins. So if this team, I know was it's a to, big range too. Well, Sorry if this, that, no, <laughs> no, no, because that, that actually leads to a perfect question. If this team is to be a 12 win team, if they are to maximize their ability, why will that be? What, what would be the reason that this team could succeed at that level? I think to your point, you know, it, it, it hinges on to it. You know, he's got to mm -hmm. be, you know, a ballpark top 10 guy. You know, you can't be a middle of the road, you know, bottom, well, now 32, so bottom hmm. 16 guy. You know, you, you can't do it. You're not going to win big that way. The other thing is, as I say, he needs the offensive line. And, you know, it's going to be very intriguing. This defense was number one in the league in takeaways, number one as a team in takeaway to turnover differential. And they were, I think, the third best team in the league at getting off the field on third down. So mm -hmm. some of those things, if you enjoy the uh, the analytics and the analytics community, Jeremy, they say those things are kind of one-offs and mm -hmm. they are not necessarily things that you can repeat. So we'll see if Xavier Howard maybe doesn't get 10. Can he get seven, eight interceptions this year? And can the defense perform again at that level? And those are key stats. I mean, getting off the field and getting the ball back. I mean, any defense that can do that is going to have success, but I still think the vast majority of it, of it, like it is in the NFL for almost every team, is on the quarterback. I, I can't wait to watch this quarterback matchup of Tua and Mac Jones, yeah. a couple of Alabama guys. It's it feels crazy that we're seeing the two of them start against each other in the NFL already at this point. But we'll shift away from the Dolphins to the Panthers before we wrap this up. Obviously, they re-signed Forsling and Reinhardt. They add Joe Thornton. 
the Panthers are a team that lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions in the playoffs. They are better than their first round exit based off of one of the best seasons in franchise history. What are your expectations for this Panthers squad at this moment of the offseason headed toward the regular season? Well, I think, you know, I think they're a legitimate contender depending upon how good they are defensively and how good they are in goal. I mean, this offense, they might have the top, they, they might have the best nine in hockey. I mean, they're, mm. they're, they're top, top nine. And we don't know exactly who's going to be in that, you know, eight, nine role. But when you look at the firepower of Barkov, Huberto, Bennett, you know, Reinhardt, Verhage, Duclair, mm. and if Anton Lundell, you know, can step in and now you got Joe Thornton and Patrick Hornquist who bring that, you know, that great effort and grinding and just knowing you know, how to, how, how to get through the wars in, in these battles mm-hmm. and setting the example. So, um, you know, I think the goaltending is going to be interesting. Can Sergei Bobrovsky elevate his game again? And is Spencer and I, and I've talked to people, Jeremy, that, you know, I don't want to get people too excited, okay? <laughs> but that have told me in hockey that, you know, that it thing, like when Dan Marino walked on the practice field at Dolphins camp at St. Thomas in 83, and when Dwayne Wade walked onto the court with the Miami Heat, People tell me Spencer Knight has it, that he's that once every 15, 20-year goalie. He's that good. Now, we're going to find out. He certainly looked the part. Um, mentally, he's like a 30-year-old veteran. Um, you know, he walks into that playoff situation like it was no big deal, mm-hmm. like he was playing any other game. So uh, I think they're clearly a playoff team. The East is really tough. The division's really tough, so you're going to have to earn it. There are going to be a couple of teams in the Eastern Conference that miss the playoffs that are playoff caliber. So number one is getting in. Once they get in, I think the sky's the limit. Again, they're going to need their best players to be their best like they were last year. Huberdo, Ekblad, Barkov. To me, it wasn't even close. You could throw Mackenzie Weger in there. Mm. They all had their best years of their career. And now at that stage in their mid-20s, um, they know the ropes. They're veterans. So uh, I really think the sky's the limit uh, for this team. They've got a little bit of everything. And as we've learned, from Bill Zito and his staff, if they do need something, because the team you have in mm-hmm. October isn't always the team you have in April. Uh, and from ownership with Vinny Viola, you know, and the payroll factor, that, that that's not an issue. They can go out and get what they need. I don't want to get people too excited. And then a comparison to Dan Marino and Dwayne Wade. Right. I love well, it. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So actually, this is my last question for you, and then I'll let you go. I actually saw on your website the Goldie's Gang Golf Classic is September 20th. Um, I just wanted to give you an opportunity here to tell the folks a little bit about Goldie's Gang and that event. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, we've been doing the 20th annual. It was canceled last year, so glad we get it in this year. And basically, you know, we do the once-a-year event. Uh, we raise money, and the money goes back to – Uh, buying tickets for kids you know there's some teachers that are involved and they bring their students I mean such dedicated teachers right besides the classroom Mm. go out of their way outside the classroom and have their kids experience you know a lot of different games in the town but a lot of panther games so we've got a lot of uh you know we made a lot of hockey fans over the over the last couple of decades you know young kids which is great and then just helping out families you know it's it's hard now financially um it's expensive to play sports so anytime we can give a grant to someone whose kids, you know, play sports and try to help out with some of the costs for that, um, you know, registration, whatever it is, if kids play travel, you know, that's a fortune. Um, we try to do that. So all the money goes right back into that. And I'll tell you this, Jeremy, you know, Valley Sports always over the years uh, come out and play. And, you know, the, the network, the, our network um, always contributes, you know, whether it's a suite or some tickets. So appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's really been uh, 
it's really been a community effort because I just organized the thing. If people mm-hmm. don't show up and we don't get sponsors and the teams don't help out, I mean, the Panthers give us concert tickets and jerseys mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And the Dolphins do as well. Um, if they don't do that, then the whole thing falls flat. So I appreciate uh, you looking that up and uh, we're doing it September 20th. I hope you can make it out and play a little bit. Yeah, it'd be great. I am horrific at golf, but I would love to Perfect. be out there. Yeah, it's perfect for everybody. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, it'll be a show for everyone to just watch me fail miserably. You could follow him at Goldie on Ice on Twitter. Steve Goldstein, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm probably going to get yelled at for being too loud. You know, tennis, <laughs> it's not like hockey, man. Yeah, it's perfect. I'll see you. Thanks, Goldie. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places. (laughs) 